For we come on the ship they call the Mayflower We come on the ship that sails the moon We come in the ages most uncertain hours And sing an American tune Oh, and welcome to episode four of The Friedman Files. We have been gone for, for I would say, maybe like a week and a half, two weeks, um, as the Friedman in The Friedman Files was in Iceland. How was Iceland? It, it was good. You're lucky I came back. That's how, that's how good it was. I mean, it's just there's a wonderful feel there. It's Reykjavik, its capital, is a, is a small city by American standards, but it was just wonderful. They got... Uh, just a nice attitude and plenty of baked goods, and it's it's hard to describe how how pleasant the whole experience was. And I don't like sightseeing. I mean, I went out to the the Blue Lagoon, which was a Disney World ripoff, and then went to uh, it's called the Golden Circle, which is this great waterfall, which is really beautiful. But mostly, just walked around the island, I walked around the capital city, went to a couple of museums, and uh, it's really a nice place. You don't get much when you're on vacation, but 20 hours of sunlight is enough to change anybody's mood. Are you able to spell Reykjavik yet? Without I can like, spell Reykjavik almost without help. Yeah, you got to go with the Y before the K, and then it's after that you're pretty good. After that, but yeah, it still takes it still takes some time. It, it's great though. The feel of the place, it's it's really interesting. Um, this is really off the subject, but their prime minister resigned in 2016 uh, for unseemly but not criminal behavior due to the Panama Papers. He didn't really do anything criminal. He just he was associated with it. And imagine in this country if we uh, made presidents resign for unseemly behavior. Um, Trump would have been out like November 9th. But um, what was great about it is they had this rally to throw him out. This is back in October last year. And, and they literally threw food at, at the legislators, they they threw yogurt, which I, was hysterical to me that they threw yogurt. And and the, guess what the the majority party now in Iceland is called the Pirate Party. Um, I did know that they are, <laughs> they are big on the internet. The Pirate Party. It's it's wonderful. And uh, again, everybody hates politicians, even there. But um, there's just a different feel to the place. And and I I think one of the things um, that that hit me was. They're not really laughing at us over there. And again, this is just very anecdotal. They're not laughing at us uh, as much as they're they're fearful. And I think it's because Europe uh, knows from tyrants, and they know they know how bad this can get. And one of the things I wrote about was, and maybe you saw it, is one day uh, when Macron was uh, he won in France, um, and going down to the elevator with these two Germans, and one said, "Yeah, uh, France voted for the future, and America voted for the sewer." Uh, which was an awful indictment, but I'm not sure it was that inaccurate. Uh, the, the, the one small matter that, again, kept coming up, and maybe because I kept bringing it up, was was insurance. Of course, it's nationalized there. Yeah. And what's amazing to me is it's not on anyone's mind, which means if you're a waiter or a hotel clerk, it's one thing you never worry about. Now, imagine if you get if when you got sick, all you had to do was worry about getting better and now who to go to and whether it was going to be paid and insurance premiums and stuff. And listen, nobody has enough money. Uh, plenty of people living and sharing, you know, 500 square foot apartments or rooms. But again, anecdotally, their gait is lighter. I mean, they just walk around. And, and what hit me was when I was in Europe 20 years ago is nobody there seems to be looking to America anymore for anything. And somehow that 
I guess with the election in France um, and the election in the Netherlands, they actually took the moral lead here. And you kind of get the sense, I did anyway, that America is somewhat done, which is probably an overstatement, but there was nothing at all to suggest that people were looking to America either to go uh, or to learn anything from. Though I did run into one person who couldn't wait to get to Portland. And then I met, uh, my friend is in Portland and she couldn't get wait to get to Reykjavik. So there you go, as far as that goes. But again, if I could do this broadcast from Iceland, if someone would pay me, uh, we'd have a five-hour time delay, Jesse, and we'd be doing it from there. Well, a five-hour delay is doable. Um, so you left at really the craziest time because I believe... The whole place uh, fell apart. The whole operation yeah. fell apart. I'm going to go through a list of things that happened. And this is not a complete list. And I would like to thank the website, What the Fuck Just Happened Today, for um, reminding me of things I had forgotten, like the Sally Yates uh, deposition, which happened before you left. You know, we didn't, we didn't even introduce ourselves. That's how quickly we got into this. That's I'm, true. I'm Barry Friedman. That's Jesse Elric. Hello. How are you? All right, so you left You left on a Tuesday. Right. At, and that was the day that Trump fired the FBI director, James Comey. And, okay, so I'm going to go through a thing. So apparently that's that same week, I think the day before, he established the Presidential Advisory Commission on, on Election Integrity, the least accurate name of a political commission ever. Small story in comparison, right? Right. Then he, Trump, President Trump threw his staff under the bus on why Comey was fired after two days of them saying it was for the Hillary Clinton email investigation. Then, President Trump threatened Comey with tapes of his conversations with him, because we then found out James Comey keeps detailed memos of all of his meetings, especially with President Trump, because he was nervous about Trump trying to uh, meddle with the FBI. Okay, now, now, now is where I lost the order, but I'm just going to keep reading. <laughs> so, what seemed like... Three months later. Excuse me for interrupting, but after that, didn't then Trump come out and say he actually fired fired Comey because Russia was on his mind? Well, yes, in a conversation with... Lester Holt. uh, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So in the conversation with Lester Holt, he dismantled the story that the Trump administration had been building for the past two days, that it was about the Hillary Clinton thing and rebuilding the morale of the FBI... Uh, Trump was on, you know, being interviewed by Lester Holt on NBC and said, no, he did it because the Russia thing's stupid and I was tired of it. Then he had a meeting with both the Russian ambassador and I can't remember who the other Russian was, um, where he, you know, didn't allow in the American American press, uh, was tricked into letting the Russian press in, who probably, one, wiretapped the room, two, we found out a week later, he gave, he told them information that you know, Mossad had given the NSA about their spy in ISIS, right? Now, this is above top secret. This is this yes. is what they call code word, which is uh, if there's another level above super top secret. This is this is that cone of silence and get smart. This is yes. that level. Yes, it gets mentioned in uh, season one of The West Wing. No, no. So I'm sorry. It gets mentioned in season four in a flashback. About for those if we're going to have a West Wing mention every episode, we are in fact, and that was it. Yes, for now. Okay, so can I just stop for a second and say one of the things about the Comey affair is, and and you don't have to dig that deep, is whatever you think of Comey, he's our guy, he's one of us, and the Russians are one of them. 
And for our guy to throw our guy to them for even a punchline is despicable. I mean, that's just not done. I mean, you know, you you, you have the Civil War and you have the, the internal battles and stuff. But for him to do that, for him to actually say to the Russians, here's this guy who I don't take seriously. You don't have to take seriously. Here's a gift I'm giving you. It's almost like he's reporting back to them yeah, for all the good he they've done for him. I, I don't know how that just sort of flies by. But again, every day something else flies by and maybe you just can't catch it all. It's true. I mean, once, you know, so the story came out about him sh- uh, sharing classified intelligence with the Russians because he was bragging, right? Then we found out later, we found out, one, that the New York Times and Washington Post were being more discreet than our president was with this information because they were told... They they were asked not to release the name of the country, uh, right? You know whose intelligence it was. It got leaked anyway. It was Israel. So to all the pro-Trump Jews out there, this is what you get. And um, again, where was Netanyahu on this? Imagine if Obama had done that. Imagine if Clinton, Hillary Clinton, had done this. Where was Netanyahu's outrage at this? Netanyahu, who when Austerspiel, great German word, uh, when when Obama merely abstain from a vote in the UN about settlements in the West Bank and the occupied territories and thought how that was a, a slap towards Jewish uh, existence. That was the end of the universe. for yeah. And this one, where was it? He? he just issued today an order that his cabinet ministers must go to the airport to meet Trump when they, many of them said, we're not going. He ordered them to go. This is the same guy who, who raked Obama over the coals for just abstaining from a vote that every administration since Nixon had said that these settlements are an impediment to peace? How's that for selective indignation? Yeah, there's a, there's a Mossad agent who was either killed or had to be quickly pulled out of being uh, an undercover agent with ISIS because our president felt like bragging to an enemy of our country. Even if they weren't an enemy, like the idea of telling them Russia and Iran are partners. Everyone knows that, right? Mm-hmm. Iran supports ISIS. There's no reason to tell them this information. No reason. It's going to get back to them. And, you know, every country has their own security apparatus so they could figure out from hints what this information was, where it was coming from. Anyway, it, it was beyond stupid. It was ridiculously irresponsible. And again, and I hate saying it, like, if a Democrat had done this, it would be 24-hour balls-to-the-wall news on Fox News for a month. Well, that's the problem is you don't want to get – you don't want to really go to that every time. But, you know, you could end each one of these stories, each one of these days, each one of these offenses from Trump and say, imagine if Hillary Clinton had done that. Imagine if Hillary Clinton had fired Comey for investigating yeah. her or his payback for investigating her, for you know, for throwing the election or nearly throwing the election. Imagine if Comey had not thrown the election. Imagine if you, if you buy the, into that and Clinton had been elected and then she fired him for nearly throwing the election, for trying to throw the election. I mean, there would be outrage and there should be outrage. Yes. It's a conflict of interest to fire the person who's investigating you. It's obstruction of justice to actually, if you believe even half the stories that he, he, he asked or... Uh, he asked Comey for loyalty. I mean, that's some serious stuff that, yeah. again, hasn't been swept under the rug. People are taking it more seriously now. Even John McCain found a, a vertebra 
and and decided uh, this was uh, not the way we do business. But again, and we'll talk about this later. Uh, this is very serious this week, and in, in, in many ways, probably the most serious of Trump's offenses. You know, again, you could argue that policy, I mean, if you, you cut out Medicaid, well, that's what people voted for, and it's awful, but it's not impeachable. This, to me, and I don't think he's going to be impeached, but this, to me, is impeachable. This is obstruction of justice. Yeah. And the, again, so we completely lost the timeline, that's fine, because it, it feels like it's a timeless situation. But what also came out was that, one, the Trump transition knew about Flynn's payments from Turkey way earlier than they said they did. And on top of that, Flynn helped veto an attack on ISIS's capital because it would have helped the the Kur the Kurdish pop you know uh, the, the Kurds the Kurds who live in northern Iraq sorry. northern Iraq sorry northern Iraq um, and this is from okay so one well hold like, the coda to that is the coda yeah. to that is that Trump wishes Flynn had not been fired yes and some reports wants him back I don't even understand that I. From a, from a business perspective, right? Someone who you had to fire for a cause, you don't normally hire back. But Trump is a wonderful combination these days of arrogance and incompetence. Yeah. Which is fine if you're running casinos into the ground, but as president, it's probably not the best attributes to have. So what, what we missed is that after what felt like, again, what felt like three months, but was only, I think, a week, was that... Uh, uh, I'm trying to remember Rob Rosenstein's title, because um, Jeff Sessions is the Attorney General. So Assistant Attorney General. Assistant Attorney General, Julie McJustein, Rob Rosenstein, uh, I think realized realized that he was going to take the fall for this at some point anyway. So uh, actually appointed a... Special prosecutor. Yes. Special counsel, right? Because right. we don't have special prosecutors anymore. Special counsel. Rob Mueller. Rob Mueller. Old, old Robbie Mueller who was Comey's boss, Comey's friend, and uh, seems like a lifelong, you know, you know, people who likes to arrest rules breakers. So this will be interesting. Um, of course, it'll be years. And also because he's not a special prosecutor, he doesn't have to make his findings public unless he wants to. So, but we can only hope that the Washington Post, New York Times will keep breaking stories as they have been, which I have to, I have to give them a, like a round of applause. They've been incredible. Like both of them, the Wall Street, Journal, Wall Street Journal too. I mean, yeah. their editorial page. I mean, you know, they're dislodging some of this support for Trump institutionally. Some of the Republicans are waking up. They don't wake up for very long. I mean, McCain, Graham, Sass. I mean, they don't stay awake, but once in a while they'll say something mildly encouraging in yeah. the democracy. I mean, if if Fox News would decide to stop talking about the murder of Simon Rich, maybe they'd move, maybe they'd actually talk about the story, but they're not. Right. So, and while we could spend all of our time bashing Fox News, there are other people doing that better than us. So, so you were obviously checking in on the news while you were in Iceland. Yes. Um, so, I almost, there were moments when I got lost in it, like when I couldn't remember what had just happened and how to connect it to what was currently happening. It's slowed down now that he's out of the country. I, it, it feels a little slower because you know now it's just like funny things about him trying to land on uh, Masada and him him bowing to the Saudi Arabia guy. Which again, I don't care. I don't care about the hypocrisy. Also, he's very tall, so 
you kind of have to bow. But oh, there was a curtsy. No, there was a bow. There was a he bent over for the. If we're going to do this, he bent over for the <laughs> for the gold medal, and then he sort of cur- Then he sort of bounced again because he yeah. wasn't sure exactly what to do. So, and again, his his it doesn't really matter except his his wife and his daughter did not wear headdresses, which you could argue they shouldn't have to. But when Michelle Obama didn't, he came out against them and said, you know, how dare you, you, <laughs> you besmirch a great faith, which he never thought was great faith till yesterday. Yeah. Um, and again, this stuff doesn't matter, but it's all indicative. If you add it all up, this is this is just sort of a general pattern that the hypocrisy uh, is rampant, and it and it doesn't seem to have an effect on. Uh, on slowing him down. I'm not talking about his, his base, but you yeah. think that just the, the hypocrisy alone would stomp you in your own tracks. Uh, yesterday, he didn't he, he didn't even mention Islamic terrorism. What's the thing he's asked for Obama to mention for years and years and years? He didn't even mention it yesterday. He just yeah. about worldwide terrorism. I mean, what he's learning is the presidency is not, it's not like running the, the Trump Taj Mahal, which he didn't run very well. Uh, and we lower the bar so much for him. He gave a, a decent speech today. We lower the bar so much for him. A spelunker uh, could 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 get over this bar now. And then he'll come out tomorrow. Bob Schieffer today. He said the Trump sounded yep. presidential. I, I'm I'm sorry. He's president now. It's not something you should be surprised by when the president sounds presidential. He's when he president. reads off the script and he doesn't yeah. hear from the script exactly. Yeah. Please, please, people in the news media, stop saying President President Trump sounded presidential. That, that that's not a bar to overcome at this point. He's president. I agree. I agree. Uh, well, we had craziness in the state of Oklahoma, yes. which is sort of a redundancy. Um, and some move on. Sad news and not so surprising news is that. Uh, and if you want to start with the budget, which they're still hammering out, they finally the, the 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 biggest issue in terms of raising revenue here in Oklahoma was the gross production tax, which is the tax on drillers at a certain point, and they lowered it a number of years ago from seven percent to two percent for new drilling, um, but it's cost the state hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. So finally, some of the Democrats, and they're only like seven or so, as I've mentioned, they could all fit in the Dodge Durango, but they finally decided they're going to have to raise the gross production tax. And the former mayor of Tulsa, Dewey Bartlett, and Henry Kaiser, Henry Kaiser, George Kaiser, came out and said this should be raised because, again, God uh, puts hydrocarbons, and that's where your drill doesn't matter the tax rate. And plus, Texas, his rate is higher, and North Dakota is higher. So Oklahoma had the lowest gross production tax in the country. Um, Democrats wanted it at 7%. They finally compromised at 5 Republicans came up to 3 And right now it's at 4 and Democrats aren't moving. Uh, but they're still trying to figure out ways to close the budget gap and they're not going to close the budget gap without raising taxes. And the gross production tax, the gasoline tax, the thousand other taxes like the taxes on haircuts and, and tattoos and cigarettes. And also raising the personal income tax, getting it back up from 4.8% where it is now to... I think it was like six and a half when they started cutting. So that's where the state is right now. And Mary Fallon has decided they're going to keep, she's going to keep the legislature there until they come uh, up with some sort of agreement. Uh, they have a special weekend session now. Uh, so that's where we are that way. The biggest news out of Oklahoma was that um, uh, Betty Jo Shelby, who was, uh, who, who killed um, accidentally uh, or not, uh, 
uh, Terrence Crutcher was found not guilty uh, recently of all charges. And this is the case where um, uh, Crutcher had his hands up, went back to his car. Crutcher said she was scared. Some say she panicked um, and shot Shelby, who was unarmed. Second police officer arrived at the scene uh, uh, with a taser. Shelby's husband was a police officer who happened to be in the helicopter above circling the scene. Um, called Crutcher a bad dude and a big bad dude, and he was six foot three, two hundred and sixty pounds. And the reason I bring that up is, whatever you think of this case, it's pretty clear that uh, if Crutcher had been white, he would not be dead. And if uh, Shelby had been African American, um, she would not have shot a white man, and would not have been given. Uh, let's just say, would not have gone as easily for her. As it is, especially now when the jury came out and, and apparently sent letters to the police chief and the mayor that they don't think she should ever be a police officer again. Apparently she was afraid, she was panicked, um, which is not a good uh, thing to have inside you when you want to be a police officer. It's like being afraid of heights and deciding you want to go into window yeah. washing. Not a good yeah. idea. Well, to give, to give the, the jurors some credit, also, the charge was manslaughter. Which you know they're they're different they're different bars right. of of murder, and it was it, it it was almost like the I guess the prosecutors were aiming too high in this case where you know the right and and you you raise a good point that would be a very tough thing to do when you sit in a jury box and you know or feel I should know you feel that there's guilt and you feel mm-hmm. like there's responsibility here and you cannot. You cannot act on that because that's not your charge. Your charge is whether or not the prosecution presents its case, and it didn't. That's sort of, you hear that from everybody, that, not everybody, but the jurors seem to think that the prosecution botched the case. Um, again, it'd be a very tough thing to think to yourself, I think she's guilty, but I can't find her guilty because the state didn't prove its case. Yeah. The the problem, again, is that these these white officers just tend to get off uh, are found not guilty, innocent, um, when unarmed uh, African Americans are being shot and killed. And it's very easy for us who are not African American to uh, kind of nit- nitpick and, and parse through all the uh, particulars. But overall, again, if if Betty Jo Shelby is African American and Terrence Crutcher is white, I don't think we're having this conversation right now. And I, I, I would I would like to give credit to Tulsa's current mayor, uh, G. T. Bynum, for what he said after afterwards, which is which was a very clear sort of um, oh, not not apology, but a reminder to the population of Tulsa that the African American community in Tulsa has not had the best time over right. a century. So, and I, I've in, I've I've interviewed Bynum twice now, and what I what I come away from him is he's he's Republican. And he said some nice things about Trump. He said some nice things about Trump's policies. But he understands that in a city like Tulsa, partisan politics uh, don't really count for that much. So he's saying all the right things. Um, he said the right thing on sanctuary cities, uh, even though he didn't really say that much. He talked about how we're not a sanctuary city, don't want to be a sanctuary city. Craven can't explain what a sanctuary city is, but the immigrant community should not feel threatened here. Police should not go after them. Didn't say very much at all. 
But again, the tone is an important thing, especially in Oklahoma. You know, Republican, the bar for Republicans, for Democrats, to clear is to be sane, to be human, humane. And to that extent, Bynum's doing a wonderful job. And I thought, again, Dewey Bartlett, who I've had problems with in the past, uh, took some courage for him to come out as an oil producer and say, we need to raise this gross production tax. It's the right thing to do. So we've actually been served not quite as much by, by Bartlett as by Bynum, but Bartlett, again, is coming around to being that same guy that many of us thought when he was first elected eight years ago is not the worst thing in the world for a place like Tulsa, Oklahoma. In Oklahoma, again, you know, it's a Republican state, it's a conservative state, So, but when you have some, uh, I don't want to say softness, but when you have some mitigation in some of these policies, and, and Mick Cornett in Oklahoma City, the same way. Oklahoma's two largest cities, you know, Republican mayors both are being served about as well as Democrats could hope these two cities would be served. But I agree with you about Biden. I mean, yeah, it, go, it goes to say that actually, as a politician, being in a situation where you actually have to run something and interact with the people who's, um, who are affected by the decisions you make, I think changes you. And no matter what your political background is, like it, it does change how you view governing which is um, different from, say, senators, for example. Right. Well, again, I think in Bynum's case, and we talked about this, there really is no partisan divide on, on street lamps on interstates, yeah. on lighting highways. And so I think he understands that. And he's not yet, and it's been early, he's not yet, and nor does he feel like, and, and the polls don't make it sound like he's ever going to have to throw a bunch of red meat to the, uh, to the French. He just doesn't need to. Yeah. And like honestly, I don't even know what the demographic breakdown of Tulsa itself is, but I imagine it's actually more balanced than you know any of the suburbs that connect to Tulsa would be. So well, that's true. I don't think. I mean, they joked about how Tulsa should secede from Oklahoma. I think more like Midtown should secede from Tulsa. Yeah. So yeah, the the, the city itself. Um, again, uh, the downtown is thriving. I mean, it's a bit progressive. There's a lot of great organizations in town. And I think Bynum's strength is he realizes that politics only kind of impedes that that progress. And so he's staying out of the way of doing all these issues. Like he hasn't said anything about abortion, doesn't say anything about choice, hasn't said anything about um, half a dozen other issues that have bogged down other Republican mayors. It bogged down Dewey Barlett, bogged down his predecessor. Yeah. Before your commentary, may I do a very short commentary? I think that's allowed under our bylaws. Okay. I would like to talk about Confederate statues. Go ahead. Um, of the many things that have been happening over the past two weeks, there's been a story coming out of New Orleans about the the Democratic mayor of New Orleans trying to get rid of this um, General Lee, this massive General Lee statue. And there were protests and there were, you know, Richard Spencer showed up with, with his other neo-Nazi friends. And it just reminds you that, you know, you're, you're always... You know, you're always jokingly told that the winners write the history books, but somehow in this country, the opposite had happened as far as the Civil War is concerned. And we are still fighting over the fact about what the Civil War was about, who was at fault, and the outcome of it. And I hate to tell people this, but the South lost, the South was at fault, and the Civil War was about slavery. We have to stop talking about this. This is not, I don't care about your Southern pride. I don't. You shouldn't be proud of it. Like, you, you are welcome to be uh, prideful about where you came from and your own 
culture, but you have to admit that culture is white culture. And for anyone else who is not white, your love of this Confederate nostalgia is harmful and hurtful. Well, not white, but also, you know, sane and yes. and a caring human being. I mean, if you have a you have a pickup truck and you have an American flag and a Confederate flag, uh, one of them has to go. Yeah. They succeeded. Like, they wanted to leave this country. They did a traitorous act, and they lost. So stop, stop saying it wasn't about slavery. Stop saying the North started it. They didn't. And stop saying it was, I mean, literally, South Carolina, the first state that seceded, said in their document about why they were succeeding, this was about slavery. So stop it. Right. Just stop it. <laughs> All right. Now, 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 Barry, you may go. Thank you. Um, it seems like a million years ago, I heard this statistic, and I've not been able to find it, so if it's not accurate, forgive me, but that 95% of black South Africans during apartheid were against it. That means 5% were for it, which leads me to think, who were these people? Um, how many Americans think the world is flat and the moon landing was fake and Barack Obama was a Kenyan prince sent here to do the country harm? So you ask yourself about Trump supporters and what it will take to see him the way the other 62, 65% of the country see him. And I've come up with my answer, which is nothing. They're in this marriage for good. If it wasn't crudeness, if it wasn't incuriousness, if it wasn't shady business practices, if it wasn't infidelity, if it wasn't knocking gays, women, Jews, Muslims, the disabled, if it wasn't obstruction of justice, if it wasn't patriotism, you realize the election, Trump's victory was the end game. He beat Clinton, they beat Clinton, he beat Obama, they beat Obama, an added bonus if you're racist and sexist. And the continuing angst of the left is desert, is proof that, that he and they did something right. I mean, our angst is their sucre. All of this is to say that it won't be public opinion that brings down Donald Trump if he comes down at all, and it certainly won't be the GOP and its disappearing spine. It will be the courts and it will be the press. And even then, the American virus that caused Trump will still be festering somewhere in our DNA. The point of this is, uh, Trump is Trump. It is what people want, they still want, but what they want is his victory. And as long as he's there, he's a reminder, they won and we lost. And that's the fuel. Shining like a national guitar